slaves, servants, and sons. How you see yourself makes all the difference. So welcome to our online service, whether you're in this house or whether you're watching and streaming from home. I am praying that this morning blesses you. Zach, there's a ring. I already know you're fixing it, but I just wanted to tell you. Sometimes I just want to share this. What you guys hear down here is different to what they hear up there. So when I'm saying it, it's not because I'm frustrated with the sound guys, although sometimes I am, but not today. But sometimes the reason I'm saying it is not because there's a frustration, but because they can't hear what we're hearing down here. So if I hear it, I'm going to say, hey, there's a little ring, and they're going to fix it up there, and that's going to be all good. And everyone said? Amen. We're going to practice that again. We're going to practice this all day long. You ready? Because it's going to be an amen day. I preach better, faster, quicker when you say amen. Amen. There we go. Man, man, you want me to preach like a chipmunk this morning, you know? So slave servants and sons, how you see yourself makes all the difference. Australian psychologist Alan Richardson decided to put this theory to the test. He decided to put this theory to the test. He simply got a gr- three groups of people and he said, what we're going to do is we're going to practice basketball. And the first group, he said, I want you to practice 20 minutes a day for 20 days. And for 20 minutes every day, they would practice shooting hoops, just standing shooting hoops, 20 minutes a day, every single day for 20 days. The second group, he simply said to them, I don't want you to do anything. You're going to shoot on day one, you're going to shoot on day 20, and you're going to do nothing in between. Sounds like some Christians. Moving on. And then on the third group, he said, what I want you to do is he said, I want you to just imagine, I want you to visualize, I want you to see yourself bouncing the ball, shooting the hoop, bouncing the ball, shooting the hoop. And they're like, are we going to shoot any hoops? He goes, no. No, day one and day 20, you're going to shoot hoops. But between those times, you're just going to see yourself. What you see is going to come to pass. So the day comes, 20 days later, group one has improved by 24%, according to the study. Group one, 24%. That's a quarter better than what they were 20 days earlier by practicing 20 minutes a day. Group two, zero improvement. We all saw that coming, didn't we? Group two, never practiced anything, never looked anything differently. They all did the same that they did 20 days earlier. Group three, everyone say group three. Group three three improved 23%, which is phenomenal when you realize that they didn't actually bounce a ball, but they improved 23%. This has been repeated right the way through sports all over the world. NASCAR drivers, I can't name the names, but I can tell you I did read about them. They would literally walk the track. They would imagine themselves steering into a corner, coming out on the perfect line. They would go through it over and over again in their mind, and they would get out there and win the NASCAR. Mike Tyson, one of the famous boxers, would stand there, and he would visualize himself, would knock out punches. He would visualize himself boxing. He would visualize himself ducking and weaving. I don't think he did a lot of that. But anyway, he would visualize it, and he would win. Time and time again, basketball, football, marathon runners have used these visualization techniques. And we're all sitting there going, yeah, yeah, what's that got to do? I'm going to get there because how you see yourself makes a difference. How you see yourself makes a massive difference. Think about it. Who's had to deal with somebody that they, they know doesn't like them? Who, you know, you're walking into an office, you're walking into a job interview, you're dealing with a difficult customer, you're, different, you're dealing with a difficult client, you're dealing with a difficult parent, a spouse, whatever. You know, you're walking in and you already know that this person doesn't like you. Who's ever walked into that sort of a room and walked into that kind of a meeting? Who's, how do you feel your heart? How, how do you feel your posture? How do you feel your speech? What, what do you sound like? What do you feel like as you're about to walk into that room and you know in behind door one is the person who already doesn't like you? Doesn't that alter the way you behave? 
Doesn't that alter the way you see yourself? Doesn't that alter how you see this conversation going? Imagine now you walk in and all of a sudden as you walk through that door, your best friend's sitting there. How do you change your, your speech? You do, don't you? Like you don't talk to somebody who doesn't like you the same as you talk to somebody who does like you, do you? You don't talk to somebody who you know hates you the same way you talk to somebody who you know loves you, do you? And the truth is, the problem is that how you see yourself, how you visualize that conversation working out makes all the difference. Not only how you see that conversation, but can I say how you see yourself? How you see yourself makes a massive, massive difference. How you perceive people determines how you respond to them, but how you perceive yourself determines how people talk to you. I've watched on TV many, many times and they talk about, and I'm I'm treading on dangerous ground here, I recognize that but I'm going to tread on it anyway because it's fun. You know, and you hear about these people and they're like, oh, my little dot Johnny, he went to this school, he got bullied. And we go, that's a terrible thing. And then he went to this school and he got bullied and we go, that, that's also an equally terrible thing. And then he goes to this school and he gets bullied and you go, can I just point something out? You don't have three bad schools, you have to retrain Johnny the way he sees himself, he's reflecting on people. Can I say that to you really nicely with a big smile? How you see yourself. It's how you project yourself. It's how you imagine and it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy as how we talk to ourselves, how we answer ourselves. If you say, I don't talk to myself, you do. We all talk to ourselves. Sometimes I talk to myself. I need expert advice. Moving on. <laughs> but talking to yourself is merely answering and, or asking and answering questions all day long. Who's ever made a mistake? Okay. Yeah. We're going to deal with liars later, but no. <laughs> Who's ever made a mistake? Who's ever answered their mistake by saying they're stupid? Who's ever gone, oh man, I'm just so stupid? But that's not true. You just made a mistake. It doesn't mean you are a mistake. It just means you made a mistake. But these little things, they begin to get in. They begin to mar your identity. All right, I was talking to Barry through the week as I change, as I change this up a little bit. And I said to Barry, as a psychologist and a Christian counsellor, how do you find this concept? I wanted to bounce it. He said, you know, in my psychology and more my Christian counselling, I dealt with people who struggled with identity issues more than nearly anything else. And we solved their identity issues, we solved everything else. Sometimes due to a painful period or losing someone, being abused physically, emotionally, shapes the way you see and feel about yourself. Sometimes your actions shape the way you think about yourself. Who's ever done something so bad? You don't put your hand up for this bit. Probably good if you put your hands in your pockets right now. Don't look at your spouse either. But who's ever done something so bad? And that guilt, that shame, it it stays with you, doesn't it? It carries on. And you can kind of, I don't know about you, but I know there's things that I've done in the past, and I'm talking 30 years later, every now and again, I can have a flash of that feeling and still realise just how abhorrent that actually was. And I know God set me free, but that took a process of re-visualizing, re-seeing myself, not the way the world sees me, not even the way I see me, but learning to see myself the way God sees me. See that, you go right back to the Garden of Eden. You remember the Garden of Eden where God had made Adam and Eve? He'd made them perfect. He'd put them in this garden. It was beautiful, everything around them. One day Eve decides to start eating the fruit and she gives some to Adam. And immediately the Bible says that their eyes were open and they hid themselves from the very presence of God. They've been walking with God for months, maybe years. We don't know how long they've been walking. They've been walking with God and all of a sudden they eat something and it changes the way, doesn't change the way God sees them, by the way, because they were always naked. They never knew that, but they were always naked. But all of a sudden they see themselves differently and they're ashamed. 
and they're embarrassed. And that's exactly what the enemy wanted to do, to get them ashamed and embarrassed of the way they were and get them to pull back from God and start living out of this blurred, messed up, messed up identity. And I want to talk to you this morning a little bit about this identity. And we're going to go from slaves. Next week, we're talking about servants. And we're going to go from slaves and servants to sons. Because at the end of this, I actually want you to see yourself as a son of God. I want you to see yourself the way God sees you. I want you to speak about yourself the way God speaks about you. And I believe that when we do that as a body of Christ, as a body of believers, things start to change because we start to live out of a new way of seeing ourselves and viewing ourselves. Is that pretty good? Let me keep going a bit further. You remember Israelites were chained, or sorry, there were slaves in Egypt for some 400 years. They're slaves in Egypt for 400 years. They never measured up. In fact, I've preached in series in the past where we talked about what they were measured, their value, their significance, their self-worth was valued by how many bricks they could make. And if you could make more bricks, you were a better slave than the guy who couldn't make as many bricks. And so everything is down to what you do is how you value your life. And that form of slavery still forms our mindsets today. You are valued by what you do, by how much you make, by the clothes that you wear, by the cars that you drive, or the house that you live in, it somehow starts to value you and shape you. And what I want to do is take you out of that this morning. Remember, through a series of supernatural events, God sets his people free. It's so cool. Like there's these plagues that come and suddenly he culminates with the Israelites putting the blood of the lamb on their doorposts. The blood of the lamb, that's a really important way to be set free. They put the blood of the lamb on their doorposts. Then they go through what we call the baptism. They go, and we're going to be doing that later this morning when people are baptized. They go, the Bible says in Corinthians that they were baptized into Moses through the Red Sea. They go through from the blood of the lamb through baptism and they come out of that and they leave Egypt behind. You remember the, who remembers the story? You remember the story and when they come out, the, the, the Red Sea closes in behind them and all of a sudden, all of their enemies, all of their past is totally cut off. It's finished. It's done with. They are free. There was a problem though, wasn't there? They just didn't realize they were free. They'd spent 400 years in slavery, thinking, feeling, imagining themselves as slaves. Suddenly they're free, but their brain can't grasp that. And the Bible says that for 40 years they wandered in the wilderness. What was an 11-day journey took 40 years until that generation passed away and another generation could come up and enter into the promised land. I think there's a whole generation... That's church bound today that still see themselves as slaves even though they've been set free. Even though God calls you a son, you still see yourself as a slave and that's what we're going to talk about. I'm going to keep going. Let me give you another illustration. You know how they train a circus elephant? This is a cool illustration. They get a big concrete pillar and they put it into the ground. They get this little tiny elephant and they chain its leg. And this little elephant is chained to the big concrete pillar and it yanks and it pulls and it yanks and it pulls day after day, week after week. But eventually, who's ever heard the terminology an elephant never forgets? Eventually the elephant realizes that it can't break free and it just gives up. It just realizes this is my lot in life and it gives up. And the elephant begins to grow and it becomes a ginormous, fully grown adult or female elephant, male or female elephant. And they can chain that elephant 
with a timber stake or a star picket in the ground and the same chain on its leg. And even though that star picket would be pulled out with no problems at all, it has been trained not to pull against the chain. You know what? Some of us are chained like that with invisible chains. We are bound from being so young and told and taught you can't do it. There is a mindset of slavery that comes across people and it's like a fog that comes over. It's why we had the picture of the glasses, the slave and the servant. It's you view everything through those lenses of life. Everything gets viewed as I'm not good enough. I don't deserve this. And even when something good happens, you kind of, don't you, you kind of, you negate it by going, oh, I don't know why that happened to me. You know, I don't deserve this. I'm a horror. And I want to try and get across to you this morning. You are a son of the most high God. Even after being supernaturally set free, the Israelites never saw themselves as free. I want to say to you this morning, God wants to move you from slaves to sons. He wants to change the way you see yourself. He wants to change the way you speak about yourself and help you to start seeing yourself and speaking about yourself the way he does. For the last few, few weeks... We've talked about embracing chaos in the house. Today, I'm going to tell you how to do that, and it's by changing your mindset, moving it from your head to your heart, understanding that you're no longer a slave, you're no longer bound, but you are free and you are called the son of the Most High God. I'm going to go on to this and say being a son doesn't disqualify you from chaos. We've been talking about embracing the trials and the tribulations. Did you know being a son doesn't negate that? You know, once you become a son, it does, it's not, we, we said this week one, it's not Christmas every day from that point forward. Just because you're a son doesn't mean you won't have any problems. Let me prove it to you in scripture. If you've got your Bible opened up to Mark, Matthew chapter 3, verse 16, if not, it'll be on the screen. Matthew 3, 16, Jesus is about to get baptized. It says, when he had been baptized, Jesus came up immediately from the water and behold, the heavens were opened to him and he saw the spirit of God descend upon him and alighting upon him like a dove. And suddenly a voice came from heaven saying, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. I want you to get that in your head this morning. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. I almost get you feel like getting you to turn to each other and say, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Can I just pause one second and go, what has Jesus done at this point? Has he healed any sick? Has he changed the water into wine? His first miracle. Has he raised the dead? Has he cleansed the leper? Has he fed the 4,000? Tash, what has he done? I just was, Tash was kind of looking at her nails. I thought I'd ask her a question. Tash, I want to say to you this morning, he's done absolutely nothing at this point. He's done nothing. And yet God the Father speaks over him and says, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Why? Because you are not a son because of what you do. You're a son because of what he says over your life. You need to get that because this is a transitional moment. You are not a son because you try really hard. You're not a son because you're good enough. You're not a son because you perform well enough for long enough and all of a sudden you're accepted. No, you're a son because he calls you a son. Now, can I just say you're a son or a daughter? You, you, we get that, don't we? It's generic. We're not being politically correct. We're just going to say you're a son and everyone else who's female can go, or a daughter. Are we good with that? Yeah. Awesome, because I'm not changing for the rest of you. All right, here we go. Jesus hasn't done anything because being a son isn't based on what you do. It's based on who he says you are. I love that song by Hillsong. I am who you say I am. I am who you say I am. I think everyone should say that. I am who you say I am. But here's the thing. You ready? I want you to look at chapter 3 again. 
When he had been baptized, Jesus came up immediately from the water. Behold, the heavens were open, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting upon him. Suddenly a voice came from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Now for those of you who can count, what's after three? Wasn't a trick question. Let's do it one more time. What's after three? Four follows three, right? You know, in the original, there wasn't chapter three and verse chapter four. There was just one letter that was written. And I want you to read this with this context. So it says, the end of three says, you know, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And we jump straight into verse four. And it says, then Jesus was led by the spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Does anyone else read that? See, there's a page turn often in Bibles, isn't there? And we kind of go away from one thing and we go, we're starting something new. It's not. It's the same. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Then the enemy, then Jesus was led by the spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the enemy. We're going to keep reading. It says, and when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, afterwards he was hungry. Now when the tempter came to him, he said, if you are the son of God, command these stones. be took what? What? If, can you imagine Jesus just, like, I like, does anyone else, I like to imagine how this is going to play out. So Jesus is really hungry. Dad said, you're my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. He's gone off from that point. He's in the wilderness. He's been fasting for 40 days. He's really hungry. And the enemy comes to him and he says, if you're the son of God, command that these stones be turned to bread. I, I just wonder, I, I, you know, I like to ad lib a little bit. I like to put things in. But I wonder if Jesus had that moment where he went, What? Were you not there? Were you, did you not hear what my dad said? Didn't you hear him say, you are the son of God? What's this nonsense if you're the son of God? But behind that question, isn't there? There's a question. If you're the son of God, why is bad things happening? Don't we do the same thing? Behind that question is a question. Phil stands there, he says, you are sons of the most high God. And we all do this mental gymnastics. Well, if I'm the son of God, why are bad things happening? They happened to Jesus. I could answer that. Why do bad things happen? There's thousands and thousands of reasons why bad things happen. Anyone seen that Facebook post? Sometimes it's because you're stupid. That's why bad things happen. I know that's mean, but you know. You know, why am I fat? Because you eat garbage all the time. That's why, you know. Oh God, if you really loved me, you wouldn't make me fat. No, if you really loved you, you'd stop eating donuts. It's not rocket science. Okay, moving on. Are you following me for a minute, please? Because we go, if bad things happen, then honestly, maybe God isn't for me like a... Bad things could happen so you could be set free. Bad things could happen according to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego so that you could be set free. Bad things happen so you could be promoted. Bad things happen so the king could see Christ in a different way. Bad things can happen for a thousand different reasons. But let me tell you one reason bad things don't happen. Because God doesn't love you. That is absolutely not true. Bad things happen for a thousand different reasons. They happen to the very Son of God himself. And the enemy comes and he says, if you're the Son of God, let me, let me kind of try and shake your identity. If you're the Son of God, why is this happening? Or worse, if you're the Son of God, why don't you do something about it? Stop trusting God. Take matters into your own hands. Don't, don't we do the same thing? And why do we do the same thing? Because your identity is shaken. See, when you know you're the son of God and you entrust yourself to him, what did Jesus say? Man doesn't live by bread alone, but by every word my father speaks. 
I don't live by what the food is. I don't live by doing things in my own strength. I live and I'm secure and I'm stable and I'm protected by every single word my father speaks. And what did my father just say? I am the son of God and in me, he is well pleased. If you get that, please get that in your hearts this morning. Let me keep going for a little minute. I've got time. I just think the enemy is so audacious in this. And it works so well, he hasn't really needed to change. He comes and he questions your identity over and over again. He comes and causes you to question whether God is for you. And if God is for you, how come this is happening? And Paul says in Romans 8.38, I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, neither height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. What's he saying? Nothing, 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 nothing can separate you from God's love. Nothing. If bad things happen, am I separated from God's love? No. If a lot of bad things happen, am I separated from God's love? No. If really horrible things happen, am I separated from God's love? Absolutely not. Those things can happen for a hundred different reasons, but the reason isn't because you're separated from God's love, because he loves you and calls you his Son, Can I hear an amen? That was a good amen point. Let me give you some more scripture to just establish this. Galatians 4 verse 4. It says, But when the fullness of time had come, when the, when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive adoption. Everyone say adoption. That we might receive Adoption. As sons of God, and because you are sons, God has sent forth the Spirit of His Son into your hearts, crying out, Abba, Father. Therefore, you are no longer a slave. This is the word of God to you. Therefore, when you're adopted by God, therefore, you are no longer a slave, but a son. You are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then you are an heir. Through Jesus Christ. When William, I'll see if I can get this right, it's not in my notes. Was it William who married Meghan Markle? Is that who it was? Come on, people, help me out here. Harry, you can tell I'm not a royalist, but thank you so much for you people that are. When Harry married Meghan Markle, he just pulled out of the royal family, didn't he? And he said, I, you know, forget you lot, I'm going to... America, yes? Is he still an heir to the throne? Has that changed? Do you think when he went over there, he started living like a poor person? And I know this sounds funny, but you know why he didn't live like a poor person? Because his mindset is, I'm a son of the king. I already know who I am. I'm not poor. I don't have a poverty mentality. I don't have a slave mentality. I don't have a just enough mentality. I don't have a, I've got a beg for scraps mentality. He's, I'm the future king of England. Can I throw this out to you? He says, if you're adopted as the sons of God, you're no longer slaves. You're no longer not good enough. You are heirs and co-heirs with Christ. Man, some of us need to get that in our head. And we, and we take that and we go, no, no, no. 
There's this really cool story about Ruby. Ruby couldn't have any children and try and try as they may, they couldn't have any children. Finally, they decided we're going to adopt a child. It's a great decision. We're going to adopt a child. Shortly thereafter, Ruby goes and falls and finds herself pregnant. She doesn't fall. She falls pregnant and finds herself pregnant. Right. Yeah, it's not... Moving on. Ruby finds herself pregnant. Children are born. The child is born. They've grown up together. They're about eight or nine years old. And the neighbour, sitting with Ruby one afternoon, looks out at the kids and says, which one's yours? Ruby looks at the neighbour. She says, both of them. The nosy neighbour presses on, yeah, 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 I know, I know, but which one's really yours? And in the Ruby's finest moment, according to this story, I love the story, it says, in Ruby's finest moment, she looks at the nosy neighbour and she says, you know what? I can't tell. I forget. Because she sees them both as hers. When we think about Jesus, we think of God loving Jesus, don't we? we? I hope. You know, the Bible says God loves you just like he loves Jesus. You don't believe me, do you? I can almost see, you know, like, I'm not sure. Like, I've got no problems going, God loves Jesus, but me, that's because you still see yourself as a slave and not a son. You have been adopted as a son. Can you just say, point to your chest for a second, you ready? Close your, we're going to do this, close your eyes. Point to your chest, you're going to hear yourself say it and say, I am adopted. I am a son of God. If you want to say daughter and be politically correct, you go right ahead. But we're going to do it one more time. I want you to point your chest one more time with your eyes closed and go, no, no. no. You know, I'd say slap yourself on the side of the head, but don't do that. It's weird. Just point your chest and go, no, no, I am. We're going to say it with some gusto because you believe this and it's a changing moment. I am a son of God. He loves me the same as he loves Jesus. John 17, 23 in the New Living Translation says this, I in them and you in me, that they may be made perfect in one and the world may know that you have sent me and have loved them as you have loved me. Jesus is praying for his disciples. He's talking to his father and he says, I in them and you in me, that the world may know we're one and that the world may know that you have loved them as. Do you know what? That, that word as, is, it's, it's the same as you have loved me. He loves you the same as he loved Jesus the Christ. Just let that sit for a second. Because I can already feel the pushback. It's like, oh, yeah, no, you don't understand. No, 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 you don't understand the power of the blood to redeem you from your past. You don't understand that when God says, I will no longer remember your sins, he means I will no longer remember any of your sins. When he says the blood of the lamb has cleansed you and washed you and made you whiter than snow and I have cast your sin as far as the east is from the west, that never connects. There is no, oh, well, if I just go there, I'll event. No. It, he chooses deliberately to not distinguish between you and Jesus Christ. That messes your heads. How do I know? Let me give you another scripture. Hebrews 2 verse 11. For both he who sanctifies and those who are being sanctified, that's us, all 
or are all of one. For which reason he is not ashamed, talking about Jesus, he is not ashamed to call them brothers. So the Father loves us the same as he loves Jesus, and Jesus isn't ashamed to call us brothers. So are we wrong when we say we're co-heirs with Christ? Are we wrong when we say God the Father sees us the same as he sees Jesus? We're not sure. Take, because I can, we, we struggle to, like, we have spent 50 years viewing myself through the lens of a slave, through the lens of being told I'm not good enough and I don't measure up. And the scripture comes and he says, no, 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 when you put on Christ, I don't see anything else but Jesus. When you wash yourself in the precious blood of the Son of God, I don't see anything else but the precious blood of the Son of God. I have taken away your robes or your rags and I have clothed you in a robe of righteousness. So when he looks at you, he sees a robe of righteousness. And I understand that logically, but my heart struggles to accept it. And I struggle sometimes to walk that out in the confidence of knowing I'm a son of God. And here's, this, ready? does this mean that there'll be never any bad things? No, bad things definitely happen. The difference was Jesus faced those bad things in complete confidence knowing that he was the son of God. And so when they're about to throw rocks at him, he's like, I know who I am. I know where I'm from and I know where I'm going. What are you going to do to me? Can you imagine walking into your workplace, into your difficult situation with that absolute confidence in your spirit that you go, I'm the son of God. And I'm, I'm going to say, I'm the son of God. And I know that's a bit, no, you're not the son. I think some of us need to yank that wheel out of the rut in the sand to get back up onto some solid ground. God sees you as a son. He sees you the same as he sees Jesus. He sees you through the blood of Jesus, which means he actually doesn't see you. He sees his son. And he sees you in the version that he has created you to be. And so you walk into that problematic place in total confidence. I, I know who I am. And I know where I'm from. And I know where I'm going. And I'm not a slave, I'm a son. I'm not a slave, I'm a son. And there is nothing you can do to me to shake and rattle that identity. I'm not a slave, I'm a son. We're going to kill you. That's cool. I know who I am. I know where I'm from. I know where I'm going. I'm not a slave. I'm a son. You don't understand. We're going to persecute you. We're going to make your life absolutely miserable. That's okay. Somebody said to me the other day, and they were talking away, and they said, you know, I really struggled with your message last week because I don't want to be a doormat. And it's like, fine, I don't mind being a doormat if I'm a son, not a slave. I know who I am. And I want to say to you this morning, everything in this series is about seeing ourselves the way God sees us, having that confidence. Can you imagine Jesus being like rattled by what, but you know, we don't really like your teaching. So? I know who I am. I know where I come from. I know where I'm going. We don't really like the way you do your hair, Jesus. You're like this white guy with a funny looking hair. So? I know who I am. I know where I'm going. Can you... All the things that we panic about and we get stressed about, how many of those things would be dealt with if we just saw ourselves as a son and no longer a slave? A slave is always seeking approval for his master or from his master, but a son doesn't because a son knows who he is. 
Thank you so much for joining us this morning. We really hope you guys enjoyed the service. We are praying for you and we hope you have an amazing week. See you next week.